hello, hello, everybody. My name is Jeff Watson, and you are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. What are we doing here on this podcast? We are trying to crack into the soul of artistry and looking at some of the behind the scenes in the creative process and about inspiration. Uh, talking to directors and screenwriters and producers and artists and musicians and it's a cavalcade of talent. Um, and it's really ultimately about tales of life and joy and pain and imagination. So this lovely podcast is executive produced by a great friend of mine named Michael E. Simpson, and uh, he's a multi-award winning writer and guy as well. My name again is Mr. Jeff Watson, and uh, I am a giant movie nerd, worked at a video store in the 80s when that was a thing, and I got to learn about David Lynch, and I got to learn about Peckinpah, and I got to learn about all the great Scorsese, and, um, and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and B-movies, every dorky thing imaginable. Um, then I uh, went to the entertainment industry, and I am currently a therapist, but I am still a film nerd, and I appreciate art. So, this particular podcast is a fun one for me. It is an interview with a gentleman by the name of Freedy Johnston. Freedy Johnston, some of you may know, is a brilliant singer-songwriter, started in the late uh, early 90s, and had a big hit. Uh, Ken, or, uh, it was uh, The Perfect World, 1994. I'm a giant nerd for this guy. Michael, my friend, told me, hi, would you like to interview Freddie Johnston? And I jumped at the chance because I harmonized with this guy in the car to this day on some of these songs. Very few people do this. So this next uh, interview that I did is with indeed Mr. Johnston and uh, talks about the magic of Stevie Wonder and he talks about the creativity process. And uh, there's, uh, it's just it was a great, great time. And hope you enjoy it. And we will be speaking again soon, or at least you'll be listening to my voice because you don't know what I look like. Here we go. Mr. Freedy Johnston, thank you so much for joining. Say hello. Hello, Jeff. Hello, listeners. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, we were just talking a second ago, but, you know, I'm a huge fan. I've been a fan of yours for, like, that perfect world record that you uh, that you had was magical. My God, that record's fantastic. Um, Thank you. I'm glad you love it. Just wonderful. And it's not just that. Like, you know, we were talking to a bunch of songs and, and, and records that uh, I really appreciate. So I kind of want to kick this off with a, a fun question, I think, which is, Mr. Freddie Johnson, what was the first record you bought and why? <laughs> That's pretty funny. I bought a single of You Are the Sunshine of My Life when I was a kid, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade. And uh, it's one of the great songs ever. But I remember even then not being fully happy with it. <laughs> I don't know. I know. Right, exactly. <laughs> I realized I had a problem, you know. I was just, I was too critical even of the great, one of the great geniuses of all time, Stevie <laughs> Wonder. And I remember giving the single away to my, my buddy Greg's 
teenage sister um, because she was really, you know, amazed that I had it. And I said, you can have it. I don't know if I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so that's my, that's my story. I, I, you know, I, I admit it. Of course I love, of course I love the song. Believe me. Of course. I'm just, you know, I was obviously an opinionated little bastard even then. So what was wrong with it? Let's go there. I don't even know. I don't, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I, I, I think that I, I just really can't remember that far back. Um, well, I can remember a lot of things that far back, frankly. I, I really did whatever. I was living in Florida at the time. It's a, everybody's got long stories, but I was, Living there for a while with my dad and my brother, and uh, I started because my buddies, my neighbor was a really big music fan. My friend Greg, who's, uh, who's you know that was his sister, yeah. and then my other neighbor was really big music fan. So I started getting into music, but I didn't have any music, you know, and I wanted to do it myself. You know, I was like, well, I like it, but I think I can do it. You know, just who the hell am I, right? Writing these songs, I'd ride my little banana bike up and down the street and. In Pine Castle, Orlando, you know, uh, the suburb, and I remember these songs that I, or one of them is like, you know, the, the, it was kind of like ding, da da da, da da da, da, da you know, I was writing yeah, yeah, that yeah. Uh, in my head, and that uh, obviously, so I had the disease early. <laughs> disease. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, that is brilliant. And then, so yeah, and then my uh, my neighbor, my uh, you know the other classmate who lived a little ways away, we were going to start a band. We're in fifth or sixth grade. I don't know why I was chosen, but I was chosen to be the drummer, and we would re- we would rehearse at my uh, friend's house before his mom got home on his uh, <clears throat> pardon me on his dad's oh. drum kit, and uh, that was my first band, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the fact that you were a music critic at that age already. <laughs> I really listen. I've gotten I've gotten critic criticism for that quite recently, within the last seventy two hours. So uh, you know, I'm I've definitely got a problem. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's I love music, but I I I just can't just love it all, and it's I just I've learned to try to keep my mouth shut, especially in the last seventy two hours. <laughs> I was. <laughs> it didn't I was go making, well, did it? I was just making. I was just making some wisecrack. Not even that. Even about a certain artist, and 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 everyone on the thread was like, "You don't know, but he's great." But I was like, "Okay, right, you're right. He's great. He's great." <laughs> Back away. Well, I just gotta. I gotta shut it up. Okay, so why is that? Why do you think you're extremely critical? I, I do not know. It's so it's so prevalent though. And and let me let me stress, please. The number one person I'm critical of is me. You know, <laughs> it's it's the the usual. By now, it's kind of a joke or a, what's a, the word like a uh, anyway a, a running joke or like a trope or something. That if in the studio or in rehearsal, if I say I cannot, I I've, I've got this new song, but I don't really like it. It's gonna be the most popular song. That's just, it's always the way it is. If I have a new thing that I'm like, ah, I really hate that, but that came out of me. I've learned, pardon me, to pay attention to that. That that uh, happened with Bad Reputation. You know, uh, I didn't play it for anybody until we were almost done making the record, and we were um, 
up in Dreamland up in Bearsville, New York. And Butch said, do you have any other songs? We kind of need a single. <laughs> and my manager said, how about that song, Talk, Talk, Talk? And I'm like, oh, I hate that song. Because <laughs> I, I played it for my, my tour manager. And Butch is like, we were in the kitchen at the studio. He's like, come on, play it. I'm like, all oh, right. I just probably did it in a very just sultry way, like, I know I've got a bad reputation. He's like, we're doing it. Let's go. <laughs> so, uh, so we went into the studio, and the band had already been sent home for Christmas. It was just the engineer, the producer, me, the assistant engineer, and my tour manager. And so the engineer said, Butch, you used to play in a band. You'll play drums. Uh-huh. And Butch was like, I, I haven't played for a while. So he went out there and started practicing in the studio. And then J- John Yates, the assistant engineer, said, I'm a pretty good bass player. You know, we had Graham maybe on the album, right? But right. It was like, we, but we resorted to the assistant engineer, a lovely human, by the way, John, John Yates. So that's why the per- personnel is different on that song. We recorded Bedroom Station with the folks who were there. <laughs> that is fantastic. And I will say, too, yeah. one of my favorite productions ever. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Honestly, you know, I, that it's, record. It's just, you know... I get you just don't learn, but I, I've tried to, I really have tried to learn. I have a new song. I'm working on new songs, of course. I'm doing a new record. Um, good, good. And I do, uh, be out, be done in February or so. Awesome. I have a couple songs that I just cannot get out of my head, of course, but I think are just dumb as heck and I'm trying to pay attention to them. <laughs> I try to think like, try to say, okay, this is probably the one people will like. Yeah. And what's fascinating to me is that you're accepting you're, you're you're kind of like going through the, the the emotion of not liking it and examining what that is. Well, I'm forced to because I've been wrong so much. You know, I just learned the uh, it got really old. And you know, we were talking earlier about the, being in the van with the band early on in my touring. You know, I would just always like, oh, don't put don't put that on, don't put that on. And they're like, Freddie, do you like anything? You know, <laughs> so so I'm just like, I admit it. I admit it. You know, it's uh, um, <laughs> the stuff I do love. I love, 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 love. What do you love, love, love? Well, I mean, I'm a. I love all music. I love all people. <laughs> but I. Mm-hmm. But I. Uh, I mean, come on. Like, I guess the first music I heard a lot of was country. You know, from Kansas. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. really love uh, Hank Williams. Everything mm-hmm. about. Him. Whenever I first heard him, I was like, "Well, that's just perfect." Everybody else sucks, but him. You know. Yeah. And then, and then it was Merle Haggard and George Jones. Merle Haggard was really the one. My mom was into him. I was like, well, he's the best of all time. And then, you know, it's it 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 changed. Uh, then I was the world's biggest Elton John fan and the yep. biggest Stevie Dan fan. But I only listened to those two artists for for a while. It's just very <laughs> few records I had, obviously. And then, and then, and then my buddy, my uh. My pot-smoking buddy, Craig Joshifiak, in Kinsley, Kansas, uh, said, I'm going to play you the greatest record of all time now. We were driving around, and he had this pink, uh, clear pink cassette of physical graffiti. Oh. Uh, and I'm, he's like, Led Zeppelin, physical, physical graffiti. He's like, ah, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he said, this is the greatest record ever made. And to me now, still, to, to this day, that's my favorite uh, recording, is physical graffiti. Um he was right about that. So I was I was a huge Zeppelin fan and you know metal fan, but 
I didn't branch out like my buddies. And I, I, I was just at a Graham Parsons birthday gig the night before last and talking my, you know, voice horse. I probably sound horse from it. Um, with all these people I hadn't seen forever talking about all this music that they had been into since the early days. And I just never gave any credence to now I love, you know what I mean? But I just didn't have the ability to say, Oh yeah, I love the birds. I love the Kings. I love, uh, flying burrito brothers. And you know, just, uh, it, or I, I, I love all those uh, last two Graham Parsons records. I can say that now, you know, but back then I just wouldn't, I don't know. I don't know. I obviously would not have, and I and was not a good bandmate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. First of all, uh, I went to Hank Williams. I went to the hotel where he died. I'm a, I've done road trips. Oh, about you did? Cool. Yeah. Um, I've been to his grave, and weirdly enough, in Georgia, I think it was. Um, I, I've traveled around the country, not just in bands, but gone to, like, stack studios and you know, Fame Studios and Bustle Shoals and Electric Lady. Oh, you've done that, see? Yeah. yeah. I did, by the way, Chess is amazing because the Chess Studios in Chicago are so run down. There's, there's like no, barely anybody there. A guy walks in and says, you want to pay 10 bucks and walk upstairs in the original room? Yeah. So That's funny. That's so you amazing. went to, you went to, uh, you went to, uh, uh, um, you, uh, Sun Studios in Memphis, right? Of course. Been there twice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a short, a short little story. I went there. I was, I was so fortunate to open a few shows for one of my heroes, um, Ian Hunter. I was oh. a big Mott Hoople fan. Um, and, uh, they, we were going to meet at Sun Studios the morning after the gig. We we're going to get a private tour. So they, they kindly asked me to come along. <laughs> Pardon me. And we were, they, uh, we went into the studio room, you know, the original studio room, the same ceiling tile, same tile floor, some of the same microphones. The, the, yeah. I was, I was just, it was such a, the same uh, recording console, even though they had replaced, you know, you can still record there. So they had a new, re- new recording console, but they still had the original one. And, uh, wow. I asked the guy, I said, is, is that the original control room window that they would have looked through? He's like, yeah, same glass. Like, Man, you know, it was kind of a, a real moment there. The, the, uh, the, the, tu- the, to be in touch with, uh, the past so directly like that. We all started jamming. You know, Steve Holly on drums, legend. <laughs> he, yeah. he just, he, he started playing drums and the guy started jamming. I picked up an acoustic guitar and we, you know, Ian just watched this jam there in Sun Studios, and wow. then, uh, then he started plinking on the piano, which was a really rundown-looking piano in the corner. Yep. And the uh, the studio owner, I think the grandson of Sam Phillips, maybe maybe I'm wrong, said, "Oh, that's Jerry Lee's favorite piano." You know, and it was a, it had a like a plastic top to it, a really cheap piano. Huh. Okay. It had a cigar burn on it, you know, and stuff, and. Ian said, eh, it's not, I don't really know if I like it. It's not that good of a piano, you know. And, and his, his piano player, Dennis, went over to it, this guy from Brooklyn, you know, and started just wailing on that. <laughs> and then he got up and said, ain't nothing wrong with that piano. <laughs> well, that's my, that's my convoluted Sun Studio story. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. And, you know, I will say this too. Um, my favorite and the best thing I've ever seen Neil Hacker do was I went to see him in Bakersfield 
which is, you know, it, it was at the, um, what's this, the, uh, the palace, what's that place called? Anyway, uh, the, the Crystal Palace, which is in Bakersfield, which has been there forever, right? So I saw Merle Haggard there, and it was incredible. Wow. He was amazing, and he was, you know, as, as you know, grizzled as you would expect. But, at, you know, a bunch of times, somebody's yelling out, you know, play Yoki from Muskogee. And at one point, he said, this is my fucking show. I'll do what I goddamn want. I'm like, yep. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's totally what I'm here for. That's exactly why I came. That's funny as shit. Uh, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go somewhere with all this. But um, one other thing, I was in the George Jones fan club with my wife. So oh, yeah, we, which meant all that meant was just a you know backstage VIP photo. But I've got that. <laughs> it was great. Um, great. But so you mentioned Graham Parsons, and that's exactly where mm-hmm. kind of went ahead with this whole thing. The reason why I love Graham Parsons is, and I think many do, is because he's one of the greatest storytellers that I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to do, both with my life and career, but also this particular podcast, is talk about storytelling, because ultimately that's what you're doing, right? Now, there's a quote that I want to ask you about that you had in 1990, I think it was, with New York Magazine oh, that I actually just hang on. Oh, this, is, this is not going to be bad. I want to see where this goes. This is good. Trust me. Okay. So you said, I have no interest in retelling my pain. I say enough of it in my song. <laughs> oh God, that's so pretentious! Oh my God, it's okay. I, don't want it's to talk. I will not. I, I shall not speak of my pain. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Oh my God, that's so pretentious. But you said it, and I think I understand what you meant. So maybe you can well, tell me. Maybe you can't. Mean, no, I, it, yeah. All I meant was I don't want to tell the literal stories of my, you know, my family. I mean, I had the the. Screwed up childhood that almost every songwriter seems to have had. Yep. I didn't want to write any. I didn't want to write any songs about it. You know, I, it was only until later on in my career that I even remotely did. I uh, just it was really a kind of a. I don't know what it's kind of like. A, it's like oh, I don't want to draw attention to myself or something like that. I don't know. I just <laughs> didn't want to do it. I didn't feel like it was the way to do it. Well, first of all, just a basic point. For me, writing songs was always the song writing the song. Like the song would come out, and still does, as a musical thing with a melody and and a sort of emotion attached to it. And then it needs some words. It doesn't matter what I think, you know. And so that's what I kind of mean is that I'm not out to tell the story of my dad here. I'm out to fix the wor- fix some words to this song. And if it happens and- to... You know, be something about me. You probably wouldn't know it because the rest of the song would be about something else. And that's you know, what I thought you meant, and that's why that's I asked what, the question. Yeah, okay. Right? Because you, because as a storyteller, now I'm going to put words in your mouth, and you can spit them out if you don't want them. But as a storyteller, you are. Uh, Keith Richards said this. He said you got to be a lightning rod, right? Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is just what you're, just what you're saying. Yeah. You've got to be a tuning fork, as I see it. Yeah. But, but in order to be a tuning fork, you have to be in tune with yourself mm-hmm. or something greater than you are, right? So when you're in sure. tune with the universe or arts or life, that is where the inspiration comes from, simply because it's already there, like you just said. Yeah, it's already there. Um 
Keith is really um, – Keith amazes me and kind of scares me sometimes because he maybe plays the character of this, this really adult person, but every time I've seen him in interviewed, he's smarter than almost any person I've ever met, you know. And he's certainly opinionated, but, he, but he, he's, a, he's one of the great, great, greats of the greats. Yeah, I don't know. People do it differently. I um, was in uh, – well, I don't want to get too specific about it, but I did a thing where a lot of musicians got to get – a couple of times where a lot of musicians get together. They're, they're split off into groups. Go write a song, you guys, you know, and we have to go, go write a song. It didn't ever make any sense to me. It's sort of like it was a, it was like we should have been arrested for abuse of music or something because it's like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going to – we're, we're asking too much of the song of, of, of you know, it's like, and then we come, we come up with the title and then a couple hours we come up with the melody and, and a song and, and, and there's the song. It's like, well, that's not really a song. It's us pushing, pushing music around to say something that we wanted to say. And I don't want to be too critical about it that way because the group that does that do, does great things, but I just can't work like that. Like the song, the song has to literally bother me into finishing it. Um, <laughs> Yes, or, I'm or sorry, but or it's not any good, or or it's not any good. It's got to be. If it doesn't go away, then it's a good song, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, I absolutely understand that. I've often likened being uh, the the creative process of being pregnant because it's gonna come out. <laughs> it, it, it may well, not. It, yeah. it, that's how I feel about it. Um, I think it's yeah. There's uh, yeah. I don't ever want to know the, re- the reality of that. But the uh, sure, I, I'm with you. I think that the uh, I've read enough interviews with with songwriters who are really good. That that's it's always kind of the same the same process yeah. with them. Really, that, you know, that the, the song comes to you like in a moment. That would absolutely. It would pass, I, yeah. I'm sorry. We're we're on a weird delay. Um, but I was simply going to say. I've been to Brill Building because I'm really fascinated with that concept of immediate songwriting. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went down the hallways in New York and it was just tiny shoeboxes basically with a piano in it. And you've got, you know, hey, Neil Diamond, hey, Carol King, go, 12 o'clock, yeah. any of that. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm not in any, I guess, you know, I can uh, disagree with my previous comment in some ways in that case. Like, if, if you're thrown into a room with Neil Diamond and Carol King, say, write a song now called, you know, I Love You, Baby. They'll come out with a great song. So <laughs> it, it can be done, you know. It's just, I guess, in my way of doing it is not that way. Um, of course. And the creative process is always different for everybody else. Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. I swear. I'm thinking about, you know, that it's way too long for me to do anything else. Way too many years. This was, you know, this this job chose me. Like I said, when I was in, in sixth grade in Florida, you know, <laughs> it, I just was always going to be a musician somehow because I would just think about songs in my head all the time. But it wasn't yeah. like, it's not like I wouldn't have loved to, you know, like like to study, you know, and gotten a college education and have a real job. I actually wish that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was I was like normal people. But it, it, and it wasn't like I was the kind of person who was drawing all the time, you know, and just ha- was going to be a visual artist because it was inescapable. Now it was just music, and I wasn't ever going to get away from it. I'm glad that I, I made something of it. I was the luckiest guy in the world. That's beautiful. Very lucky. You have, you have gratitude. 
So I'm going to ask you another question. This question is my favorite question to ask artists. I've asked many before. There's no right or wrong answer. When do you know you're done? <clears throat> With the song? Well, uh, I definitely, you know, I'm a lyric guy. It's hard for me to, you know, I don't know. When I'm, I, I can't do spontaneous lyrics so well. <clears throat> Pardon me. I take that back. When I write a song, there always be some lyrics that it comes with, and those stick just like glue. They never go away somehow. I can't. I try to change them, and I and they won't change. And sometimes a line will come out that, and I'll say, you know, to fill in some space, like, "Oh, that's so dumb. Too bad. It's stuck." You know, <laughs> and and so they just maybe it'll just be the cadence of it. Like there's a song I have called "Too Close to the Rio Grande." There's a line in there. I never really liked the way it came out. Like the way it reads, is like, well, it has to be that way. I definitely have learned because I'm working on them today. You know, and I'm, I've got a, I've got deadlines. You know, we're recording on the 12th, 13th of next month. Um, but I have these songs that are years old. They, they have a couple lyric lines that need to be done, and I will know when I get it. For some reason, I will know. You know that that's the right one. It's for, so like Butch Big described. Sorry to Drop names, you know, just dropped it on my toe there. But he's my, he's my I'm in a cover band with him. I, you know, we we talk a lot. He's a he's a good friend. You get that feeling of uh, the hairs on the back of your neck. You know, it's like stand up when a line comes out, and you don't know why. It's like okay, we're sticking with that. It, you know, it's that's one of the few things I know. I really admit it when I say a lot of people are multifaceted, you know, and they're I know some artists who I cannot believe how many things they know how to do well, from car repair to cook to write songs to be a good parent to blah, 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 to know current events. I don't know any of that stuff. The stuff I know is that I can write my songs and I know when they're done. <laughs> Those are the only <laughs> two things I know. <laughs> and so I would say this, that on my records, I hate to admit it, but a couple records were made in times of just bad emotional states. Um, I have a couple songs that aren't done, and they're on major label albums. But there's no way I can. And, and in fact, I've I've changed some of the lines in the live performances because I I needed to, to finish them. You know, it's a never growing process. I, I like I love the fact that you have changed some of the lyrics to a, a song that's already uh, released I, I, because it's an, it's an ever growing process, is it not? Well, if the song needs it, but then it's not like I want to redo the whole song. It it just depends, you know. I, like, bad Reputation is uh, called Bad Reputation, but it initially had two other sets of lyrics. I don't even remember them. And uh, I don't even know what I was trying to say. The Bad Reputation part came later. So that, that, was, an and that was kind of a different time. And I was trying to write something poppy and catchy, you know. And uh, now, like, the poppy and catchiness has to come with the song, you know, if it's going to be that. Otherwise, I try to just speak the truth or speak, give the song what it needs, you know, give it the words that it needs. It's really about other people listening to the song a lot. <laughs> and that's what, like you said, you listen to my, my record, This Perfect World, the other night at the Graham Parsons thing, and I'm older than a lot of these artists. And younger than a lot of them too, but I, uh, these younger, you know, forty-something guys were there, and uh, I was helping one guy set up chairs. We've been working for a long time, 
you know, like half an hour doing it. I, I didn't know who he was. He was like this hipster dude. And suddenly he looks at me and says, you know, your record, This Perfect World, like really, really helped me get into music. <laughs> I was just floored. I was like, wow, I didn't even think you knew my name, dude. And so it just really, really made me very, again, grateful. Just so goddamn grateful. that I'm, I'm just literally the luckiest guy in the world that that would be the case. Um, I, I don't know what to say beyond that. Have you always been this grateful? No. Heck no. I would say in general, I mean, I don't want to be too critical, but I might as well get it, do it because there are people who would be, who would be very, I have very many people who, you know, I'm, let's say I'm not their favorite person, let's say, because I was a real, a real dick when I got my major label record deal, you know, and <laughs> uh, I just didn't understand what was going on. I wish I'd had a, you know, I don't want to be sappy about it, but that's the one time I wish I'd had a father. <laughs> Like I needed somebody to really, really give me advice and say, this is what's going on now. For whatever reason, you don't deserve it at all, but you were just handed the golden ticket. And you need to do this, 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 and this. You know, a couple of people did try to actually do that for me, but I wouldn't listen to them. Because I needed to be literally taken away and deprogrammed and made grateful. Um, the only way I'm made grateful now is through going through the meat grinder of, you know, all the you know, the record deal stuff and not doing as well as the rec label wanted me to do. And then the reality of getting married and divorced and how that took years and years and years to get over. And so now I'm grateful for everything. I have to be, you just gotta be. Well, and you know, you get to a certain age, you understand. Yeah. Uh, you're lucky to, you're, you're lucky that anybody knows as a musician, you're lucky that anybody knows your name and you're, you're as a human, you're lucky that you, you woke up this morning. I would certainly not have said that in, in years past, but man, huh. I, I I feel it now. That's Lucky wonderful. Guy in the world. Wonderful. It's actually, um, oh, this is going to be interesting to see where this goes. So after my series of, uh, we had talked it before uh, we started recording that I'd been through some pretty, personally some serious traumas about 10 years ago. And out of it, I learned an incredible, incredible lessons of life. But I, so I came came up with this, and this is related to what you just said. Um, I came up with the four rules of the universe by some guy named Jeff Watson. All right, and <laughs> that's a good intro. I know that. So here's the first rule: don't be a dick. The second rule, <laughs> I know. no, right out, right out of the gate. The second rule is to stay grateful. The third mm -hmm. rule is to help the next guy, and the fourth rule, yeah. the hardest one, which is. Forgive absolutely everything, but especially yourself. Well, those are really, me, those are really hard rules to follow, but I, no, I agree with all of them. I agree with all of them. I, I, I did a gig with the uh, in Hoboken uh, last month. I flew back there from Joshua, Joshua Tree, where I'm at. They flew me back, and I got to play the uh, Hoboken Arts Fest. Fantastic oh. thing that I've done for you. I just loved it. Got to see my old buddies after three years and smithereens. And Marshall, I love those. I love all those people, Marshall Crenshaw. Um, and these kids were working the gig from a school there called Stevens Tech. They were all, um, you know, audio engineers, students. And these kids were like 20. They were really on it, man. So into everything we were doing, you know. Like, wow, what, what, what year of Kelly is that? And blah, 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 blah. And I, and I, and I was backstage. I, I said to one of them, <coughs> pardon me. I said to one of them, I said, so you're in a band, right? 
I said, oh, yeah, I am. He's my bandmate. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> uh, and so I gave them my version of what your four lessons are. You know, I said, well, man, what I've learned is if you can possibly be a nice person uh, out of the gate and just be pleasant to people, that will get you farther than anything. You know, uh, just just somehow be grateful and be a nice person. I mean, I don't know that the guy already wasn't a nice person. I'm just saying that that was the only thing I could pass along. Because for whatever reason, I don't know, man. I just was really a real dick there for a while. But it's too, it's too late now. Can't change that. Well, you can also go to number four on my list and forgive yourself for that. <laughs> well, no, and that's true. That's a very, that's a very good point. I, yeah, I, I'm saying it here on the air just to sort of state it. Uh, sure. as a, uh, for the for the historical record, but yeah, I don't I don't wake up in the morning uh, kicking myself about it anymore. It's too late for that. Good. Good, and you know I think the four rules kind of really do apply to getting yourself in tune with you to be a great songwriter because you and I both know there are musicians and then there are artists. At least I yeah. think that. I think that because artists are the ones that are in tune. Now, unfortunately, as you mentioned, it can be a disease because we look at things in a very different light and sometimes it's negative, usually it's negative because of disorders and mental illness and bad backgrounds. So it's extremely yeah. challenging as well. But to have that, and, and this is where I hear a lot of artists say this, how lucky they are because they are in tune with something that a lot of people aren't for good or bad. Mm-hmm. For good or bad. Yeah. Well, a lot of people resort to it like I did as a, as a place to go. You know, to to help with your pain. You know, I bought a guitar to play songs because I couldn't help it, A, but also it made me feel better. So, sure. Yeah, you're we're lucky in a way to have the disease. <laughs> <laughs> the disease of being an artist. That's a great title. But, you know, the, um, there's, a, there's a lot of musicians who really try. That That's one thing. You know, I've met a lot of musicians through the years who work a heck of a lot harder than I do. And they know a lot, lot, lot more about music than I do. And, you know, it's like people who would have opened up for me. I don't know any specific names, but I just remember a guy in Philadelphia saying, you know, Free, you're okay, man, but, you know, you know, I've worked really hard. And, I, you know, he's just kind of like basically saying, like, you know, I, I should be in your shoes. And he probably had a point there, you know. He probably did. You know, I worked so hard. And so the classic law I didn't quote it to him but the really classic line that sticks with me all the time from Tom Waits is everybody everybody loves music but music doesn't love everybody <laughs> oh wow so it's just like I'm sorry man yeah the music likes me I don't know why you know it's like it's like a really really uh nice sweet girl who likes who likes the loser boyfriend you know it's like damn she could have done so much better. Um, <laughs> what a great line. I mean, I, I would expect that from Tom Waits, but that's fantastic. Well, yeah. It really is so deeply true. It's like it's it really is. Only, you know, I've never heard anybody even get close to that that level of insight about music. Or at least to put it so quotably, you know. Sure. Well, again, it's Tom Waits. So I kind of want to go back for a second to the storytelling thing, because like I said, it's kind of the crux of this podcast. And it's also something that I mentioned at the beginning of 
the quote, you know, I don't like retelling my pain. It's in my songs. As a, I mean, do you view yourself even as a storyteller? No, I'm not. Well, you tell me. Well, yeah, you, yeah, it's pretty much in the definition. There's so much use of that concept and word storytelling and a, a quote unquote conversation about it from cognitive science to sociology to whatever. It's basically the basic line now is like humans are, humans are storytellers. We're storytellers and that's why we tell stories because we tell, it's like it's lost its meaning. It's like that, that, and yet it's true. You know, we, we make things up. We, we can't really tell, we think we're telling the truth. Um, but you've got to, you've got to put it in a narrative form. And, uh, so I can't help it. It's like, well, for example, maybe, maybe a good example would be one of my favorite artists of all time, David Bowie. Well, I don't think he's a storyteller, really. He's just huh. a great artist because I've learned. I mean, I don't mean that at all. I don't mean that in any disparaging way. I mean, compared to like, I mean, like his songs because I haven't had to learn a couple of them for tribute shows. Sometimes the lyrics don't make any sense, and I have trouble <laughs> remembering. I have trouble remembering the lyrics because they don't have any narrative form, and yet they're still the. It's like the greatest song in the world, you know. So I don't know what to say. I hope I'm making sense, man. I know. think that. I've worked on new songs, and I'm working on a song today, which is too old. I hate to admit how old some of these songs are. But it's got one line in the second verse that I cannot figure out. And it's got to – it's like a little block that's got to fit in the puzzle to finish the story. It's not like the line has to sound good. It's like it has to say a certain thing. So, yes, I am. That's 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 definitely – I admit that I – I have to be a storyteller, but it's not something I said I'll do. I did write a song. I rarely, I read about Yuri Gagarin years ago and wrote a song about Yuri Gagarin um, because the, the story was very beautiful, how he was very close to his mother, and yet when he was in the space program, he couldn't tell her that he was going to space. It was secret. He, she just, he just said, I'm, I have to go away for like six months on this special pilot training thing and then he goes into space and that and she hears she's at work <laughs> and she hears on the radio you know Con- comrade yuri gagarin is flying above us you know and that's how she found out and uh, you wow. know they all, all of her co-workers mobbed her and she became you know because when, when that happened he was however long that was he was easily the most famous person deservedly in the world you know and it really destroyed him uh in in some ways um but so that song, which I, I already had this song about, kind of about, I don't know what it was. It had, it had a line though, who lights the fire when we come out home at night? And it, it had always stuck at the start of the song. I was like, I don't know what this is going to be about. But the whole story followed from that line to me. I was like, the song I've been waiting for the Yuri Gagarin story forever. But there's no way I could have sat down and said, I'm writing a song about Yuri Gagarin now. It was <laughs> like this, I had this existing song that said, hey, I'm the song about Yuri, <laughs> you know, by the way. You know, I was like, oh, okay. I wondered what you were about, you know. And uh, I'm really close. I really feel very proud of that song now because it it sort of happened out of the, out of the That's blue. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful story. And 
you're right. And I can see what you're saying is that you had that wonderful line and then kind of waited for a year. Well, I didn't year. know what the line meant. I didn't know what the line meant. And, and it was like, well, the, but it was just stuck like, like red wine on a, on a white carpet or something, you know? And so I had to put something around it and then I realized, well, this makes total sense now. So I try to be, yeah. you know, I try to read a lot. I try to look for material. Uh, and yet, it's just got to be, I don't know. I guess I don't try to push the songs around too much, like to express my own, you know, for my own needs. You know, like I'm going to write a song about injustice today. It's like, well, that ain't going to work, you know. <laughs> I try to, try, try to put that, put that emotion in another song, you know, or something. But the music yeah. doesn't want to be used, used like that. And that's, you know, there we go. To, you know, we don't even have to talk about it, but that's what country music is. That modern country, it's just like propaganda bullshit a lot. Propaganda! <laughs> right. Well, it is. It's like, it's just like, you know, they, uh, you know, they, uh, I mean, I'm not talking, I'm talking about the contemporary, you know, pop country, oh, not, not really good artists like Hayes Carl or, yeah. Other guys like that, you know, that's real. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, well, I lived in Nashville for about two years, about uh, five years ago, um, and I saw the commodification of that town real quick. It's like, what happened? Um, oh, back yeah, man, just terrible. But back on the storytelling thing, before we uh, kind of maybe wrap up in a bit, so I've often said, and I want to get your take on this, that in order to be a storyteller, you have to do two things: a you have to tell the story. Doesn't matter how it is, art, you know, a painting, mm-hmm. song, film, whatever. But the more difficult thing, and honestly, I think the thing that divides a musician from an artist is you got to find it. You got to find the story, right? Or the story finds you. No, and you've got to tell the right amount of the story. You talked about Graham Parsons being a great storyteller. What I always liked about his songs is that you just got enough information, like in a, like a kind of like a. a a quick painting, you know, to get, you know, the details and the, and, the, and to make your own version of it. And you need to know what to say and what not to beat them over the head with. You know, the example that is, I guess, true, I don't want to quote things that, but I think Jimmy Webb said it in an interview, I know he did, actually, a few years ago, was that Wichita Lineman had a bridge that he wrote. Really? And uh, for some reason, he didn't send... Glenn Campbell, the bridge, when he sent him the demo of the song, and they went ahead and cut it. And then he called up Glenn and said, you like that song? I'll, I'll give you the, I'll send the rest of it to you, you know. And Glenn said, what do you mean the rest of it? Man, I've already cut it. It's going to be a big hit. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's, and Wichita Lineman has always been described to me, and, and it is, a very open narrative, beautiful narrative, because you know what's going on, but you don't get all the little tiny details. Correct. And so that part of it, I try to always remember, is, you know, give them enough where you get the story, but don't um, don't make it too, I don't know, I don't know what the word would be, don't don't beat it on the head. That's the example I was making of this song called Darling that I'm trying to finish. It's like, I've got this last line. You know, it doesn't have to be heavily literal or anything, but they, I don't think I will know what's going on in the song without it. And I will so, tell you a, oh, sorry, continue. Go ahead, man. So sorry. Well, I was going to tell you, actually, speak, that reminds me of one of my favorite Everly Brothers songs, 
um, which is walk right, uh, walk right back. I think it's called walk. Oh yeah. To me. Right. So have you ever listened to the lyrics? Cause they double the lyrics double. So I want you, you know, I want you to tell me that I want that on me. It, and then yeah. the next the second, the second verse is that exact same verse identical. Okay. Sure. It, they just didn't have anything. No, yeah. no, no, no. That's not the story. The story is, this is why I love this story. Is because it was written by somebody else, like some high, like college friend or army friend or something like that. The guy wrote the first verse, was gonna write the second verse, went to the army, didn't finish the second verse. The brothers just went, eh, we'll just double it. That's great. <laughs> that's like that's like uh, uh, the um, Blitzkrieg Bob or, or, or the um, what is the Ramon song that has the first verse same as the second verse. I can't think of it right now. So they're one of the first big hits. But just like, yeah, just repeat it. <laughs> and, and hey, you know, it's it's really, it's uh, so many songs that are my favorite songs just make zero lyrical sense. But you know every word of it, you know. So, that, you know, music is very forgiving. It'll uh, It'll allow for a lot. I just personally like to make sense. I wish I could just completely do like like Bowie admitted like he would just like <clears throat> get really get really high and and get turn on the tape recorder and go to the piano and just start singing and that's the lyrics well also you know, let's not forget the, that, but let's not forget Bowie did the Burroughs thing too maybe we'll think a bit later maybe where he would just write words and cut them up and see what happens no, so very much so yeah and so that's very that's kind of a little more advanced class than I you know that I, I ever took um I, yeah, I still try to write in the you know the classic songwriter method of like trying to trying to make sense, you know, trying to get the story across. But it's not necessary. The 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 music already has a lot to say in the, in the melody and the you know and the, and the feel of the song and the rhythm. But I I definitely yeah I listen to a lot of on I listen to online radio all the time, streaming stations. Sadly. Yeah, I don't buy music anymore. But listening to a Turkish, a Turkish station, I didn't know the lyrics at all to this song. This woman was singing, but it made me cry. Well, you know, I could just, like, just the, the lyric of it, I mean, the melody of it, it's like, I don't think I need to know the words, man, because it's certainly, it's speaking through the melody uh, clearly enough, you know. And uh, again, Butch, you know, to quote, to quote Butch, it's just the way it is. He's like, yeah, man, people will put their own meaning on the lyrics. Don't worry about it. If it, if it sounds good, just do it. And so mm-hmm. I try to follow that. You know, for the, I mean, part part of doing something like this is that I think of, you know, I'm an old man, but like young songwriters are listening to it. Like, well, I wonder what this guy has to say. You know, so that, that's something I would say. It's like, yeah, just, just belt it out and, and just, you know, make some words up. And if they work, they work. You know, other people will like it. Or at the same time, sit down and spend two years on the on the lyrics. You know, either way. Sure. Uh, songs are 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 allowing of, of both of that treatment. It's it, it's um the only thing that can happen is that maybe like in the case of a couple of my songs, they get so old while being unfinished that like an old car they get taken apart and the parts get used in other songs. And the original song doesn't exist anymore, kind of. Um, I have a song called Whenever I See Your Face, a new song. 
it, it was an old, old song called Something Else, and I couldn't finish the lyrics, and now it's too late. I took the chorus and made made it into this other song, you know. And that's something that Paul, you know, I get from a Paul McCartney interview. That's his way of doing it. It's like, if you get the idea for a song, finish that song right then. I wish I could do that, but I, I think that's good advice on his part. You know, hammer it, hammer it out right then when it's hot. Absolutely, and on that lovely note, might be. I promise you, this would be relatively short, and we're already over the time. But oh wow, I really, okay. I, I, I hope I, it was. I, 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 I look. I, it, well, we'll find out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I really can't thank you enough. Um, I do want to do one quick thing, which is you're going to pretend to say goodbye. I'm going to pretend to say goodbye. I'm going to stop recording, and then I want to say officially goodbye to you. So we're going to do a fake goodbye. You ready? Okay. All right. Bye, 3D. It's been nice talking to you. Hey, Jeff. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk about music, and good to meet you over the phone. Hope All to right. meet you in person. Amen.